and welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Kevin Decker. And I'm Tony Flynn. Today's episode, which I know because you've been marking them off on the calendar, is Season 10, Episode 12. This one called, and don't get all twingy when you hear it, When a Groin Sprain Used to Mean Something. That's right. Days of yore, in the past, when doing gymnastics in your garage, as I'm sure you all do, like I do. Oh, we all do. You know, It's a men in charge tradition. You try to do the splits and something goes wrong. There's that ping sound and all of a sudden you're on the couch for the next week. Yes, and there's no sympathy from the family, is there? No, there's no sympathy from the family. Uh -uh. Dad's just not helping out. That's right. He usually does everything around the house, but now (laughs) we have to do some of those things. More to the point, you ask them to bring you like a frozen bag of peas, and then after you use it for two or three hours, they won't eat it for dinner. What's wrong with that? (laughs) I don't know, just because it's been lingering (laughs) close in the nether... (laughs) I mean, it doesn't. This is gross, Kevin. It's, the plastic is thick on the packaging. I don't understand. Maybe they just don't like peas. Oh, maybe. That must yeah, be Yeah, that's it. probably it. Or the other time is, you know, when you ask for frozen peas and they bring you frozen carrots. Right. That's no good. I just want to contrast this title, when a groin sprain used to mean something, with today, where you're at work, you're filing or stapling, you have a random groin sprain. You complain about it to other people. It's a real problem. And they just blow it off like, well, it's not COVID, you know. Yeah. And uh, it didn't happen to me. Yeah. So who so cares? It doesn't matter. Just keep filing and stapling. Yeah. And how did you get a groin sprain while filing and stapling is, a, I guess, the big question. It was obvious <laughs> to me because it happened to me. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe you need a break from filing and stapling. <laughs> what parts of your body are involved with filing and stapling? You know? Well... Sometimes. I'm utterly at a loss, Kevin. Okay. Well, maybe this is a good time to talk about the segments for today. Let's move on. We we have no choice. Well, first we have the follow-up from last week's Emily Wellington-Ferd, Canadian mine owner and usurer. This is part two of the Edmonton Chanteurs. Do you have any memory of what happened in this one, I do, yeah, actually, because uh, I was able to focus on what the other characters are doing because my character, Archie Christensen, really isn't in it. And there is a great discovery of a singer whose stage name is far more dull than her real name, so that needs to be switched around. Pandora Belladonna. Pandora Belladonna is her real name. Yeah. And we have, of course, songs by Rennie Yarrow, one of our cast members, accompanied by Davis Hill on the piano. You get some of that today. Right. And so we don't have to thank them in the credits. That's right. We've already done it. Yeah. After that, we have work from a new writer, Stephen Goodwin, Fossil Hound, who uh, wields a mighty hammer against the rock. He's written one called... The Noble Gases Committee. Yeah. This one is full of arcane science humor, which I think a lot of listeners miss. Yeah. Um, there's a few shows on this station that have gone out of print or whatever the audio equivalent they, of it is. They've gone out of right. magnetic tape. Yeah, like Minerals of Note. I used to re- <laughs> listen to that 8 a.m. Oh, Sunday I miss morning. Minerals, minerals of, of Note. Minerals of Note. So Noble Gases is going to kind of fill the void. And after that, we have a uh, kind of a brutal takedown of those lovely little laws in Texas that encourage surveillance and bounty hunting. Mm -hmm. This one is called Hogs of Justice. It takes place in Hog Bristle, Texas. 
And because this is one of Ann Porter's works, people are trampled by livestock. And now it's time for Emily Wellington for Canadian Mine Owner and Usurer. Tonight's episode, The Edmonton Chanteurs, Part 2. The time, 1927. The place, 5 p.m., where Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian mine owner and usurer, a youngish widow pining for the husband she never knew, rules the bustling mining town of Carnock, Saskatchewan, with a smooth, silky fist. The occasion for the place and the time is that Emily Wellingtonford, recently returned from a business and pleasure-soaked trip to exotic Edmonton, has struck upon a life-changing plan to bring the excitement of that modern-day Canadian Babylon to Coronach, she will convert one of her ballrooms to a nightclub and import entertainment from elsewhere. Meanwhile, Archie Christensen, Emily's paramour-slash-captive, has escaped, dropping from a balustrade and fleeing through a November storm, finding shelter at last at the All-Canadian Womanhood Club. Mrs. Wellingtonford! Mrs. Wellingtonford! Yes, what is it, Webford? Can't you see I'm busy daydreaming about my days and nights with Constable Coors in Edmonton? A gentleman who claims to be a booking agent from Elkjaw, or is it Moosejaw, is here to see you about a singing act for your new nightclub. Send him in, and don't interrupt my daydreaming again, Webford. Yes, Mrs. Wellingtonford. No, Mrs. Wellingtonford. Well, hello, Mrs. Wellingtonford. Thrilled to meet you, just thrilled. I wish I could book you as one of my acts. People would pay through both nostrils just for one look at you. Yes, I'm sure they would, but you are... Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm just starstruck. Starstruck. The name's Trickleford. Mackenzie Trickleford. But everyone just calls me Mac. But I'm not everyone, am I? I think I'll call you Ken. Or Z. Sounds great, Mrs. Wellingtonford. <laughs> just remember to call. Now that your personality's on full display, Mr. Trickleford, perhaps you can suggest a few acts for my nightclub? Oh, can I ever? And she's right outside. Outside? It's November. Bring her inside immediately. Webford! Yes, Mrs. Wellingtonford? Why didn't you alert me that someone was waiting outside? I didn't want to interrupt your daydreaming, Mrs. Wellingtonford. Quite right. Now go outside and bring this person in. Uh, Mrs. Wellingtonford, actually, by outside, I meant out in the hall. Betty Ann! Hello, Mrs. Wellingtonford. I'm Betty Ann Rutherfordford. My goodness, wearing sequins in the morning, and you're very tall. It's the heels, plus my considerable height. Uh, I see, but what do you do besides be tall? I sing. And boy, does she ever sing! Uh, less of you, Ken, and more of Betty Ann. All right then, Betty Ann, sing something. Uh, do you know Crush the Wobblies, my sweetheart? Go 
gosh, I sure can. It's a favorite with the old baldies at the Fox Hunters Club back home in Pigeon Jaw. No, they ain't got a barrel of money. That's why they're so ragged and funny. We'll hit them with sticks, drive them off quick. It's cocktail time. So let's crush the wobblies, my sweetheart. It's fun, but not really the best part. They'll bang on their pail, we'll put them in jail. It's cocktail time. Very nice. I love the heartless undertones, uh, but that's too wholesome for my nightclub. And we need a stage name that will frighten the elderly. Uh, Betty Ann Rutherford for smells of warm milk. Actually, Betty Ann Rutherfordford is her stage name. And did you give it to her, Ken? Sure did. Then you're probably an idiot, aren't you, Ken? Sure am. What, then, is your real name, Miss Rutherfordfordford? Well, it's actually... Pandora Belladonna. Oh, much better. Uh, now keep going with Crush the Wobblies, my sweetheart. But as Pandora Belladonna. Sure thing, Mrs. Wellingtonford. The Wobblies are nothing but trouble. It's time that we popped their damned bubble. We'll track them all down, drive them from town. It's cocktail time. We'll pluck out their feathers, toss them into the pot. We won't ask them whether they want to perish or not. Delicious! I can even hear the cries of miners' children in your voice. Uh, but... But where is that piano coming from? The nearest piano is in the South by Southwest wing on the fifth floor. Her voice does that, Mrs. Wellingtonford. Pandora can add piano accompaniment when she sings. Stop being an idiot, Ken. Okay, Mrs. Wellingtonford. No, actually I can. Listen. I was a foundling, found in a piano factory back in Fishjaw. So my voice absorbed the piano music. Amazing. Now I don't need to hire a pianist. Uh, what about trombone? Does your voice do trombone as well? Sadly, just piano. Excellent. Then I won't have to pay you as much. Oh, about our pay, Mrs. Wellingtonford. Your pay? <laughs> I can't pay you now, but what I can do is lend you the money and then take the interest out of your wages. Now I'm late for my meeting at the All-Canadian Womanhood Club. I'm the president, you know. Pandora, you simply must join me. Ken, you wait outside. Outside? In the hall? No, outside in the November. That's all the time we have now for Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian mine owner and usurer. Tune in again next time when we hear this exchange between Emily and Wepford. Mrs. Wellingtonford! Mrs. Wellingtonford! Mr. Christensen has escaped! Archie? Escaped? Find him, Wepford! Scour the mountains, the valleys, the mine shafts! 
Yes, Mrs. Wellington Firth. And bring along a dry bed sheet. The weather is perfectly vile, and we don't want Archie catching cold. Listener, have you ever wondered what the various elements do when they're not trapped on the periodic table having their atomic numbers memorized? Well, maybe you should wonder. Science education in America doesn't have to end in the fourth grade, you know. For instance, is there political jockeying among the elements? A lot of craven status-seeking, just as in any other organization? Or you bet there possibly is. Join us now in a typical hotel convention center for the annual meeting of the aristocracy of the elements, the noble gases. But first, why do they call themselves the noble gases? Because they're the elements that can't or won't chemically combine with other elements or compounds. Like all aristocrats, the noble gases are just too good to mingle with the peasantry of the universe. These gases are therefore, as we say, inert. I call this periodic meeting of the Noble Gas Committee to order. For the record, I would like to thank the convention planners for the fine morning presentations and excellent taco bar luncheon. Today, we have two applicants for membership to our elite group of noble gases. These requests will be considered after the committee's regular proceedings. Neon, please raise your hand. Sorry, I just wanted to second your accolades for the outstanding meal. (laughs) (laughs) Accepted. First on the agenda, brief yearly status updates. As usual, these reports will be given in order of atomic number. Helium is first. Thank you. <clears throat> yes, helium was the first discovered and most beloved of the noble gases. Despite the pandemic, sales of this noble gas have been brisk. A variation of the birthday party balloon is wildly popular. I have one here. It's an anatomically correct model of a coronavirus. Notice the small spiky features with valves at the end. If the balloon begins to deflate, children can use these as valves to restore the original shape. Let me demonstrate. Uh, No, no need to show the process. I was wondering how he'd work this in. Here, it's easy. There, wasn't that fun? Yes, of, of course. We will now hear from Neon. Thank you. The market for neon has been stable, although the advertising sector continues with glowing reports of increasing demand for tasteful signage. Go, neon! Argon? This year, lasers and welding have been hot markets for argon with its relative abundance and unimpeachable nobility. Yay, argon! Krypton! Encroachments by LEDs on the fluorescent tube business have been largely offset by new laser development. 
our public relations arm continues to mop up from the patently false kryptonite debacle. Xenon. We too are no stranger to scandal. We are diligently working to contain mistaken allegations of flashing. While prominent in photographic lighting, this noble gas has been vilified by the elementally uninformed. Xenon rocks! Thank you all for concise reports. In deference to our guests, we will hold off on our final emission statement until we hear short presentations from our applicants for membership. First, let's introduce Radon. Order, please. Some years ago, we applied for recognition as a normal gas. Our protons and electrons are in order. We are about as inert as can be. We demand a seat on the committee. Have your stability issues been dealt with? Well, we still frequently decay. But hey, what's a few protons here or there? Uh, I don't know. Oh, no. How about the resulting lead and polonium? Ah, huh, radon? Hardly Christmas stocking stuffers. And aren't you known as the spawn of uranium? Xenon, you're out of order. Well, yeah, but we're a feature of so many b b basements, bunkers, and reactors that our nobility plus our frequent occurrence should automatically get us a, a place on the committee. Madam Chair, I move we table this discussion until safeguards are in place. If we seat radon, we'll have to seat the lights of bismuth and lead. After 3.8 days, half of this guy is out of here, leaving a mess of polonium and lead chunks behind. Janitorial services aren't cheap. Very well. Those in favor of including radon on the committee say aye. Opposed? No. The motion fails. Sorry, radon. Just too many questions. A vacuum cleaner is at your disposal to tidy your area. We are now considering membership for Oganason. Where is this fellow? Argon? With a half-life of 0.89 milliseconds, Madam Chair, he had to leave. I believe Livermorium briefly took his seat for a few milliseconds. I move we decline Oganison's place at the table until stability improves. All those in favor of declining Oganison's request for a place at the noble table? Nice. Opposing? Ah! Motion passes. Very well then, on to new business. I'm breathless to announce that the noble gases have been asked to provide atmospherics for the next convention of the elements. Neon? Super. A few thousand volts and some glass tubing? We should be good to go. May I remind the committee that we need to keep the surprise to ourselves. No leaks! <laughs> These are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard. 
And there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. Men in Charge. Remember, when you're listening, pants are optional. Greetings, listener. I'm Olivia Newcomb, president and founder of HOJ. HOJ's story, my story really, begins behind bars at the Hog Bristle Jail here in Texas. That's right. Just like so many Men in Charge characters, I was in the pokey, the slammer, the cooler, the calaboose, the can. The clink. Shut up, Ralphie. That's how it started. Me and my ward, Ralphie, talking on the phone while I was in jail. So I said to Ralphie, you got us into this fix, so I don't want to listen to your commentary while I'm in here. It was your idea to move to Hog Bristle. It was my idea to move to beautiful Texas. Texas of the rolling grasslands, the wide open spaces where the wind comes sweeping down the plain and the waving wheat. Oklahoma. Whatever. All this gorgeous territory. I bought some top-notch Yorkshire hogs, and I just thought... It was thinking that got you into this mess. But it was you, Ralphie, who let Verge into my house. Okay, okay, I'll recap. As I said, I moved to rural Texas. Mistake number one. And introduced myself to the neighbors. Two. And then invited little Ralphie to stay with me so I could get him away from the bad company he'd fallen in with in Pansy Hollow. Three, I mean, good idea there at least. (laughs) Oh, I don't think so. Anyway, I met a young woman, one of my new neighbors who shared some personal business. And? And I went over to her house to see what I could do. Oh, that's three. Most definitely, that's mistake number three. You do not want to help any neighbors, especially girl-type neighbors in trouble. Girl-type? Ladies, then. Oh, well, I guess offensive terminology is the least of my worries. Or anyway, it became the least of my worries after Ralphie let my neighbor verge into the house while I was gone. How was I to know? How are you to know that old codger verge planted a bug while he was in my house? It was obvious right from the start that he was a snoop. I heard that. He probably bugged this jail cell too. I just know he's sitting at home listening in. Darn tootin' I am. The first problem started when I was standing in front of my fridge saying that I wished we had some cheesecake. And the next day, I get sued. Sued for thinking about eating cheesecake. 
$10,000. That's right. Those bad thoughts cost the little lady a pretty penny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our new laws in Texas are a real moneymaker if you play your cards right. And a little while after that, I was thinking about sending a donation to the, uh, the library. Library. I heard that too. There went another $10,000. Liberal causes. Liberal causes. <laughs> that kind of thinking don't come cheap. And then there was the last straw. Mistake number four. Yippee-ki-yay! I thought about helping my neighbor. You know, the one with the problem. And you know, you know, that that not only cost me another $10,000, but it put me here in the hog bristle jail. You thought about helping your neighbor, even though you knew it was illegal. It wasn't her fault. She brushed and she flossed, but her lower left wisdom tooth still became impacted. It had to come out. It was her choice to make. And so you thought about offering her a ride to the dentist. Um, wait, wait a second here, folks. We're talking about going to the dentist? What did you think we were talking about, son? Uh, I just thought we were talking about, you know... Going to the doctor? Enrolling in college classes? Getting a haircut? Uh, there's something like that. Well, here in Texas, all kinds of things are illegal now. At least for the ladies. Gotta keep an eye on them all the time. <sighs> I'm warning you, Verge. Warning me? Heh, <laughs> Don't mess with Texas. Don't give me that tired old trope, you awful man. You've messed with the wrong liberal. Okay, Ralphie. Are you by the gate to the hog pen? Ready, Olivia. I think Pansy is the right sow for the job. Sure thing. What? What? What's this sow doing on my porch? That verge is a hog of justice. Oh, she won't trample your corn. She won't push over your fences. No siree, Verge. There will be no swine stampedes on my watch. Instead, this specially trained pig will follow you anywhere you go. With her custom-designed video helmet, she'll keep track of your every move and share it on social media. What about my personal thoughts? My private... Oh, there's no private for you anymore, Verge. We'll be watching. <sighs> That's the story, folks. Now you know how HOJ got its start. HOJ put some real weight behind liberal causes. Donate to Hogs of Justice today. <laughs> Now it's time for you to tell me it's time to thank our cast. Tony, it's time to thank our cast. We'd like to thank Nisha Shrum, Nancy Roth, Rennie Yarrow, Davis Hill, even though we already thanked them, 
Tony Flynn, Ann Porter, Kevin Decker, Steve Lloyd, and Maureen Hager as the one in the corner who's not talking to anyone. We'd also like to thank the writers, Tony Flynn, Steve Goodwin, and Ann Porter, as well as the Bad Plus for their theme music, 7-Minute Mind. And I'd like to specially thank those people who put coins in the meter for me for my bicycle while I'm in the studio. Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, and the only man thrown out of the Lincoln Park Zoo for wrestling Komodo dragons, Brian Lindsay. 